Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to our 945 service on this, the fourth Sunday of Lent. Welcome to those of you in the room, the many more we know who are joining us online. It's good to be together in God's house this day. My name is James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Dr. Uyan Kim. So grateful to be together, friends, right here in our church and those of us joining online. Especially if you're a relatively new or first-time visitor, we especially welcome you. We welcome everybody. You could have been anywhere with anyone, but here we are together in the house of God to worship our Lord together. Let us know who you are, how we can pray for you. If you're a first-time visitor, there's a place where you can let us know that you're here for the first time. Uh, there's a QR code in the back of our bulletin. There's the physical hospitality pads at the end of your pews. And for those, for those of us online, there's a little link that you can click on to let us know how we can connect with you and let you know the ministries of our church. As always, we invite you to look through our This Week e-newsletter and the Bolton insert of the variety of ministries happening. There's a guest speaker tomorrow at 7 p.m. in Jubilee Hall, Karen Gonzalez, who will be with us. She was one of Dr. Howe's podcast guests. She was lovely, and we are so grateful to have her in person uh, with us tomorrow. So please join us for that time. There's also a school supply a March collection for schools and children, the list of those things we're collecting, you can find in our This Week e-newsletter. It is good that we are here. May all of us encounter the loving, grace-filled presence of God in this place. Let us continue to prepare our hearts for worship.
let us be united in one voice as we profess the faith of the Christian church and our Christian faith through the Apostles' Creed found in the back of the bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we confess our sins, we are reminded that our God is quick and merciful to forgive. I invite you to turn to our bulletin for our prayer of confession as we pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive us what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners. That proves God's love toward all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what, what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him who I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on to Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have uh, said over the past uh, couple weeks in preaching uh, that I love the Bible. I know that's the kind of thing you expect a minister to say. Uh, but I mean, just as a guy, I love the Bible, and uh, that's acknowledging that it can be um, weird, difficult, confusing. It's not a page-turner like a, I don't know, novel by Donald Young or Colleen Hoover. Uh, it's just such a weird book, uh, and it's got it's got stuff in it, right, that is mortifying. For instance, it has genocide. Now, it has genocide in the Bible, not so it go thou and do likewise. It has genocide in the Bible so that when you see it there, you will be appalled. That's what God wants you to be like. I'm appalled that this is in the Bible. I'm appalled that it goes on in the world. That's really the goal. Uh, what I love in the Bible are these, um, it's not a Bible verse. I'm not a Bible verse guy. If you pull out a Bible verse, it's like pulling out you know, one thing somebody said 17 years ago, and if you know that one thing they said, it's probably just going to confuse you about that person. But these encounters in the Bible are really something, and the one uh, that Kevin has read to us is a great example. Uh, Samuel the prophet comes to Bethlehem. This is before Bethlehem becomes Bethlehem. It, it's just a village. It's, it's not Bethlehem yet. It's just Bethlehem. And he comes, and it's a, a time of uh, political confusion. Uh, Saul is the king, and Saul has lost his way. Uh, people then would have said, Saul has lost his mind. King Saul clearly suffered from some, some kind of mental illness, and it's easy for me to say mental illness was not well understood in that world. I would have to add to it that mental illness is not well understood in our world. Mental illness is not well supported in our world. Sometimes mental illness is not well supported in our churches. I thank God Almighty that our church has had an emphasis on this for some time, and we're doing better. Still got a long way to go. Saul. So this is clandestine visit. Samuel is God's prophet. They need a new king, and so he comes to Jesse and tells him, uh, one of your sons will be king. I've preached on this many times in my life, and the way I've traditionally done it uh, is the following, is uh, that uh, uh, Samuel says, Jesse, you have sons? You bring them out. He brings out seven. Good grief. And I imagine uh, Jesse lining them up from the, the tallest to the shortest, the, the oldest to the youngest, and uh, Samuel looks at the first, Eliab, and uh, Eliab, I just picture him as one of those guys, he, he, he's strapping, he's muscular, he's got charisma, he's got military experience, he looks like a king. And Samuel says, no, not him. And then he comes to Abinadab, these are names, by the way, that you parents have not been using when you brought <laughs> children into the world. Little, I want to baptize a little Abinadab. Abinadab comes, and no, not that, Shama, no, four more. We don't even know their names. And he's got seven sons, and he says to Jesse, do you have any more? Like, he had seven. <laughs> and Jesse says, well, well, there's one more. There's a little guy, David. He's the littlest one. We left him out of the field guarding the sheep. Didn't think of him as king material. And Samuel says, bring him. He's the one. He's the one, right? And, and there's so much in this that, thinking about it this way, this gospel, God doesn't just use like the big strong, it says a lot about us. We, we make superficial judgments. You look at someone and, oh, look at the car he drives, look at the house, look at the job that he has, look how handsome she is. Oh, oh, we just get so fooled by external appearances. Uh, what God says in this passage is this, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. For the Lord does not see as we see, we look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God uses the unlikely. God uses the weak. God uses your weaknesses, not just your strength. There's so much there. It's a wonderful sermon. I've preached that before, and I, I could just do it again, and I'd be done. And I hope and pray none of you are hoping. I hope he's done. <laughs> I've got a little more here. I rethought this uh, years ago. 
And uh, I thought, maybe there's something different in this passage that I'm missing. But because after all, in those days, being king, it was like not a great job because uh, Israel had barely kicked off as a nation. They didn't have a palace. They didn't have a throne. They didn't have any gold in the bank. They didn't have an army. They didn't have anything. And they were the, like the tea-tiny little nation that was about to get crushed by the Philistines. <laughs> so being king, that was no great shake. You're more likely to wind up dead than on an actual throne one day. And so why does Jesse say, here are my sons, but there's that one in the field? I got to wondering if maybe he was willing, like, okay, take one of these. <laughs> Like, I have expendable sons, take one of those, but the, that one in the field, I, I'm not even going to bring him out. I, I want to protect him. He's the one. He's my favorite. He's the one I want to keep home for myself. <laughs> There's even a clue in the Bible that says he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. <laughs> like, I love that. Jesse just want to keep him for himself. I think I've been wondering about when parents, a lot of you are parents of children, but it's not just parents. There are always people that love you, and they can get in the way of uh, you hearing what God's will for you might be. I think about St. Francis. He's growing up there in Assisi. He was a wealthy, popular young man, but, but he heard God's call to, to give up his wealth and be in solidarity with the poorest of the poor. And the person that was most mortified was his father, Pietro. His father got so upset with him because he wouldn't relent, his father took him to court and sued him. And after that day, this is so heartbreaking. Pietro never spoke to his son Francis again. The story was that when Francis would pass him on the sidewalk, Pietro would just spit in his direction. People can get in the way of God's call. Pope Francis uh, loves to tell the story about when he was a young man, he went to his mother and said, uh, Mother, I think God's calling me to be a priest. She said, no, no, God is not calling you to be a priest. She got very upset with him, yelled and screamed, and she wanted him to be a doctor. We need a doctor in our family. You've done, you've done pre-med studies. You should be a doctor. You should not be a priest. <laughs> he became Pope Francis. <laughs> Worked out all right. Not to be melodramatic, some of you know this story. My father, not a church guy, uh, he wanted me to do as he had done. He grew up and he tried to follow the American dream, work hard, get a job, make as much money, build an ever bigger house, move up to an ever nicer car, have money to do great things on in your life. And, and when I sat down with him and said, Dad, I think God's calling me into the ministry, he, he was so upset. We were actually in the car. He almost drove off the road. That was great. And he, he yelled and hollered and said, you're stupid, this would be a disaster, you should never do such a thing. I'll never forget the words, though, that he used. I remember them precisely. He said, son, you've got a chance to be somebody. Don't waste it. At the time, that wounded me deeply. I've thought about it since then. I think he was speaking the very words of God, and it's actually God's word to each one of us. You've got a chance to be somebody. Don't waste it question is, what does it mean to be somebody? And that's what draws me to, uh, I'm, I'm re-preaching this passage. What I love about the Bible is there's always stuff in there. I mean, I've preached this, I've taught this, I've read this in the original Hebrew. I've read commentaries on it. I know a lot about this passage. This past week, I noticed something I'd never paid attention to before. The Bible does that. And, and, and here's the question. Like, what happened to those big boys? Like, how did they feel in that moment? So there's Eliab. He's big. He's accomplished. He, he feels like a king. He thinks, I'm willing to be the king. They should choose me. And Samuel says, no. Boy by boy, no. And they've got to be like, what? What? And then it turns out it's David, like the little shrimp out in the field. Like, what? And then Samuel pours it on by saying, the Lord does not look in the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And I just think, Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah and the other four are like, what's wrong with my heart? What are you talking about? I've got a heart. I've got a good heart. I'm a good guy. I always wonder, it actually, it is, I wonder if we aren't more like those boys than David. Uh, aren't we the ones that, like, we, we, I've got my act together and I go out in public and I, and I look good and I have my achievements and I have my portfolio, whatever we have that we have marshaled and there we have it, but, but God says, you know, the Lord looks on the heart, and we think, I don't have a wicked heart, but, but the question in this passage is, do you have a heart for God? 
do you have a heart for God? And Zeta said, well, yeah, I have a heart for God, but do you have a heart for God? What is in your heart? Think about Robert Bly in his great book, Iron John, about sort of men and their emotions. And he says, a lot of times, uh, you know, man, woman, men will be in a relationship and uh, the partner will say, tell me what is in your heart. And he says that a man looks into his heart He's so unaccustomed to looking there or talking about what's there. And when he looks, he thinks, I, I, I don't know what's there. What's in our heart? Do we have a heart for God? Are we more like the other? What would it mean to have a heart for God? How would we cultivate a heart for God? I thought about a couple of things that they're in other places in the Bible, but they seem to fit this uh, like a glove. One uh, is the verse in Romans chapter 12. You know, when I went off to college, uh, I was really looking forward to college. I can't say I was looking forward to the school part of college. I was looking forward to the fun part of college. I was really looking forward to it. And I agreed to room with my, you know, my high school best friend, and we moved in our dorm room. And his girlfriend, she was his girlfriend in high school and in college, and they're still married after all this time. She decided it would be a great thing to help us decorate our room so she cross-stitched a Bible verse for us to hang in our room. Now, I've got to be honest with you. You hear that and you think, oh, that's so sweet, a Bible verse. I had come armed with posters of the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> such things. I wouldn't have really wanted a Bible verse, but I mean, she'd given it to us. So there it was over the door. And I suspect she did this to remind us to behave. And the Bible verse from Romans chapter 12, uh, she, she cross-stitched the J.B. Phillips version, which says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within, or as the Revised Standard Version puts it, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I wanted to be conformed to college life. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to have fun like all the people that I'd ever heard about having. I didn't want to transform. What would that even mean? And what that transform means is like you see everything differently. Your values are different. That Romans 12 passage says, your bodies are to be a sacrifice you offer to God. I, I thought my body was supposed to be an instrument for my pleasure. But no, 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 it's something that I was to offer to God. I had a Bible verse in my dorm room. I mean, good grief. There it was. What does it mean to see differently? That would be part of having a heart for God. The other thing uh, is this. Um, I was out the latter part of this week. I went uh, up to the mountains to conduct the wedding of Peg Broughton. If you don't know Peg, Peg is the person that makes everything wonderful in this church happen. And everybody here knows this, and they nod. Her daughter, Aaron, was getting married, so I'm doing the wedding. So Peg was out, and I was out, and the two of us didn't get done what ensures that things go well, and that is we didn't proofread the bulletin, and it's in your hands. <laughs> and what it's missing, I would have gone, oh, oh, we missed that, is uh, I had this great idea that we would recite the 23rd Psalm together. And what if you know it, you wouldn't need it printed. And I thought that would be good, and it's not in there, but you know it. You know the 23rd Psalm, and I've thought about this, that if the 23rd Psalm, like, is that associated with David? David was a shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Did David think of those words? And, and what does it mean in the 23rd Psalm to have a heart for God? Hmm? And, and so here, here's what I've been thinking about. It, is, it begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, when I take people abroad, it's so much fun because there's always some surprising moment. I take people to Israel. I'm taking people to Turkey in September and so on. It's great. And uh, the first time I went to Israel, my shocking moment came the very first day. We got in this bus, we're riding along, and the bus driver turns around and says, because he knows people want this, he says, there are sheep and a shepherd ahead. And everybody pulls out their camera, like, you want a shot of that to take home? And here was the shepherd. This dude is wearing an Elvis t-shirt, <laughs> and he's got on these big green galoshes, and he's got a switch in his hand, and he is swatting at these sheep hollering what I guess were Arabic expletives. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> and maybe if you have a heart for God, you know that you need that kind of shepherd, right? We wanted to just be, oh, I'm so sweet. <laughs> the Lord is sweet. <laughs> we're just so sweet together. <laughs> 
but actually we're sheep. And uh, what we know about sheep is sheep are, they're colossally dumb. I mean, bless their hearts. I read somewhere that sheep, they're not wicked. They don't think, I'm going to bolt from the flock. They never do that. So what sheep do is they nibble themselves lost. Like, oh, there's some grass. Oh, look over there. There's a little more grass. Oh, look over there. And then they're gone. <laughs> and, they're, and this is what we're, we nibble ourselves lost. I told some of you the story before, but it bears repeating. Years ago when I was on a sabbatical, Lisa and I were hiking uh, in Yorkshire. They were going through these fields where there, was, there wasn't really a good path. Was a, we were crossing these uh, sheep fields and we we're trying to keep an eye on the ground so we don't step in, you know, the kind deposits that the sheep have made on the ground. And uh, so we noticed this one place, there's a fence and all these sheep are inside the fence. We just, but then there's a sheep on the wrong side of the fence. And, he's the, and as Americans, we think, he got free. Sheep don't want to be free. He's on the other side of the fence and he's going up and down trying to figure out how to get back in. And he can't figure out how to get back in. I look at the fence thinking, I'm going to help him. I can't figure out how to get back in. And he has a conversation with a sheep on the other side. We watch him. He looks over and he goes, ma. And the sheep on the other side spoke back and said, ma. They did this back and forth for a while. And I thought, what are they saying? <laughs> like if I could translate sheep, they're probably saying, what are you doing over there? The other one said, I don't know. How do I get back? The other one said, I don't know. It's just sheep. David, I mean, if David knew the Lord is my shepherd, we'd make David into the sweet guy. Mothers, you don't want your daughters to marry David. He's like the worst husband ever. And as king, he's ruthless. But maybe if he had a heart for God, it's that he knew that God was like that shepherd with all this t-shirt. We need that. Yeah, there's another thing in the psalm I'd never thought about it until this week. It's amazing how you miss these things. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I always just thought, oh, that's so sweet. We're in a green pasture. It's the word makes that's interesting. If I say, I make Nathan Arledge do something, that means Nathan does something he doesn't really want to do, but I'm his boss and I make him do it. The Lord makes me. And there's nothing in this society that will say to you, slow down, take a deep breath, be still, turn off your gadgets, just be still and know that God is God. Society says, hurry up, do more, produce more, hustle, 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 get going, keep moving, it's never enough, it's never enough, it's never enough. The Lord makes me lie down. Nobody else is going to do it. The Lord says, not everything depends on you and your feverish activity. I'm God. I've got the world well under control. Just be, you need to be still. The psalm says, I shall not want. <laughs> I mean, we, we're such wanters, aren't we? I, if you watch TV commercial, it's not saying... I, you shall not want. No, it's a want. Please want. Want more. Want, whatever you have, it's never enough. You must want more. Even in praying, we become great wanters. Our prayers go, oh, Lord, I want. Oh, Lord, I want. Oh, Lord, please, I want. I want, I want, I want. The psalm says, I shall not want. If you have a heart for God, there's an easing of the wanting. <laughs> and we, we don't have to want. We learn to be content. We learn to be at peace. We learn to know I have enough. We learn to know I am enough. I am enough. I wish I thought of this next thing, but I didn't, but somebody else did. Somebody counted how many Hebrew words there are in the 23rd Psalm. I know you came this morning wondering, how many Hebrew words are there in Psalm 23? And the answer is 53. Is an interesting number, and somebody counted what's the word in the middle. There are 26 before and there are 26 after. What is the word in the dead center of Psalm 23? It's just a preposition. It's just a preposition, and that preposition is with. And my friend Sam Wells, who is a pastor over in London, says that with is not just the central word of that psalm, it's the most important word in the Bible. Because what the Bible says is God is with us. Not God will fix all your problems. Not God will shelter you from all harm. Not God will burn you to toast if you don't do the right thing. No, it's just the Lord is with us. How cool is that? 
the Lord is with us. I've told you this before. When people get older and you ask them, what do you want for Christmas? They, if they got a list, something's really wrong. <laughs> what they want is the people that matter to be with them. And it's so enough. The Lord is with us. And if the Lord is with us, then if we have a heart for God, we want to be with God. We, we want to be with God's projects. <laughs> We want to be where God would go. And so then we have to ask questions like, who, who are the people out there in the world that, that God worries about? Who are the people out in the world that break the heart of God? Who are the people out in the world where if Jesus were on earth, he, 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 that's where he would go? We want to be with him. It's about being part of God's work. I'll, um, I'll close with this. Um, it's a great spiritual writer from 100 years ago named Evelyn Underhill that I really admire so much. She asked the question one time, you know, who would say the Lord is my shepherd? And we think it was the sheep. The sheep would say the Lord is my shepherd. It might be true. <laughs> she said there's another figure in the story that would say the Lord is my shepherd, and that would be uh, the sheep dog. You see, sheep in Israel is a sheep dog helping the shepherd with the work. We had a sheep dog, by the way. We um, very foolishly, the year we had our third child. He was just an infant. We got a little puppy at the same time. Just bad family decision. <laughs> Although I should say my son Noah was far more trouble than the dog because Noah didn't chew on the carpet or pee on the rug. You know, you know, it was good. So we get the sheep dog and he lived at our house. He never saw herding. He never saw shepherding. He grew up watching the howls do whatever it is that they do. No, no dog came and whispered in his ear training for how to be a sheepdog. But the first time he got a little size on him and we had a little birthday party and kids were in the backyard, he bolted out there and he began to herd the kids up into a circle. It was just so cool. He's a herding dog. Here's what Evelyn Underhill said. You want to be one of the sheepdogs employed by the good shepherd? Man, I do. <laughs> you want to be one of the sheepdogs employed by the good shepherd? Have you ever watched a good sheepdog at his work? He is not an emotional animal. He just goes about his job quite steadily. He takes no notice of bad weather, rough ground, or his own comfort. He seldom comes back to be stroked, yet his faithfulness, his intimate understanding with his master is one of the loveliest things in the world. Now and then he just looks at the shepherd, and when the time comes for rest, they can generally be found together. Friends, if you look into your heart, I don't know what you see there. I tend to look into my heart and I see a lot of clutter and I can see anxieties and I can see dreams and I can see parental stuff. I can see all kind of stuff in my heart. What is at the bottom, though, of my heart and your heart, I believe, is that you really want to be a good sheepdog employed by the good shepherd. It's not dependent on the weather or if the ground's rough. You just want to do the shepherd's work. You want to be close to the shepherd. When the time comes for rest, you want to be with that shepherd. And you can be. You can be what God dreams of for each one of us. It's what the Lord sees in your heart. It's what the Lord sees for you, for all of us, for our church, <laughs> even for our world. Thanks be to God.
Let us go to God in prayer. Generous God, as we continue throughout this season of Lent, let us be mindful and aware of the gift that it is, the gift to ease down the gratitude we receive when we do pause and the gratitude we offer to you when we pause and the benefit that it is to self-examine and to see if we are seen as you see. Our prayer is that we, through this practice of Lent, will pursue the things that you have us pursue, O God. Lord, in your mercy. Tender God, often we become blind. We become blind by our skewed perspectives, and we limit ourselves to the vision that you would have us see. Forgive us. Forgive us when we blind ourselves of the call that you have on our lives. Forgive us when we blind ourselves to the familiar, and we bind ourselves to remain content with the status quo. Free us so that we can, once again, have the clarity that comes from only you and all that we do. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful God, throughout our daily interactions, we encounter some unknown and others known who are struggling, who are hurting. So continue to work within us Stir within us, through the Spirit, a keen awareness of those who are struggling physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally. Have us be present. Encourage us to slow down and be with them. And for us also to be self-aware when we are hurting, that we might turn to our neighbors and say, I need you so that we might continue to heal together as a community. God, especially this morning, we lift to you those who are grieving. We lift to you the family members and the friends of Joe Hall as he has transitioned into the kingdom triumphant. May the family and friends know that you are with them that you are with them through the presence of the church who surround them now in their grief. Lord, in your mercy. God, our hearts are always seeking you, whether we admit it or not. We give thanks for your persistent pursuit of us, and we pray that these remaining days of this Lenten season, that we would be so courageous to course correct our lives so that we are living on earth as it is in heaven. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray together as a family, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now at this time of worship, we have the opportunity to have a ministry witness by Lydia Wright. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I also want to recognize my mentors, Allie Foster and Mark Murphy, who have been tremendous help over my confirmation journey. It has been an amazing experience, and I'm looking forward to making new memories on our upcoming spring retreat. Church family, it is through your generosity and your faithful giving that we have beautiful and wonderful ministries such as confirmation. Let us now give faithfully.
to give these gifts to make a difference in your world for generational impact. May we be faithful with them. In Jesus' holy name, amen. It's been good to be together in God's house. I have to say, um, I love my church for many reasons. Uh, one, you were part of it today. Uh, you can be quiet and attentive. We don't need like a fast, snazzy service. You know how to be still. And I love that. And I hope it will stay in your mind what the choir sang, uh, the way Isaac Watts uh, did this thing with Psalm 23. No more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. <laughs>